Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Ashley Sieb. Ashley and I go back, way back. We've worked together off and on at different companies for over 10 years. And what I've learned in that time is that she is a creative, energetic marketing and communication specialist that knows how to get and keep people's attention. And then, to use her personal mantra, she always finds a way forward. So, hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, Kelly. Thank you for having me. It's such a joy to be together again. And like you said, 10 years, maybe going on 12. Honestly, I think I started working at my first company in 2010, and you were one of our first official ghostwriters. Well, you did ghostwriting and official writing. We gave you a byline, Kelly. It's crazy. I have no idea why you did that. Because we love you. So we've established a couple of things. We've been together for a very long time, and you and I are decidedly overdue for a girl's night out. So we will have to pencil that in. Um, I shared your super high-level overview, what you're best at. But for people who don't know you or haven't met you on LinkedIn, can you give us a little bit more detail about your background and professional experience? Yeah, of course. So, you know, my journey as a writer and internal comms professional started at the ripe age of 10 years old. (laughs) And that was when I wrote my first ever internal newsletter for the company that my dad worked at. And I remember going to, he would take me everywhere with him. You know, we'd go to take your daughter to work day or company events. And I thought the coolest thing ever was the the pop machine in the office and how they could get pop all day long (laughs) or soda for folks who say it's soda around, you know, the world. Um, And I would go to his company events and I would just take notes and like observe these conversations. And one in particular, I went to this really big go-kart event and just interviewed people and asked them questions. And then I made a newsletter for the company. And I branded it based on the New York Times because that was like the only, it was like the only magazine or publication that I really knew at 10, which is funny because I don't know what other 10 year olds know about New York Times, but of course I did. (laughs) So yeah, I've, I've really just spent most of my life since then reading stories about people, consuming art, meeting people. I'm the person who you know, when I was a kid, I'd go to the theater uh, for the school play. Like I'd be really jazzed about seeing the high school perform or any other art. I just wanted it all in my life. And that has just been a passion of mine to to collect and, and share those stories. And I'm a big fan that stories and human experiences bind us together. So that has translated into my work as a marketer at a st- uh, tech startup, Kelly, where you and I met. Yeah. Um, and I've also ran my own marketing practice and I've been an educator at Miami University where I taught digital marketing and the capstone class and social media courses. 
And when I'm not doing all that, I'm spending time with my my adorable little family and riding my Peloton and binge watching Parks and Rec, which is actually in, in the background right now in the other room because it's just always on in our house. <laughs> And I will share. So we're recording this on a Friday, and that does just feel like a celebratory thing. It's a Friday. There should be something on in the yes. background. It's you know <laughs> not business news, not ticker symbols going across the bottom, right? That's sort of how we ease ourselves into the weekend. I agree, a hundred percent. It gets the mood right for my Friday vibes. <laughs> Now, over the last couple of years, it's interesting because you know that Phil Eidson and I are all procurement all the time. Yes. And what we've learned within procurement is every single category of spend is now sort of an HR category. Mm -hmm. And I think that concept expands bigger. I think every single corporate communication, every single interaction between people inside a company, people with their customers, people with their suppliers is now truly a human connection issue. Yeah. And with you being, first of all, such a people person, but second of all, somebody that is so focused on getting good at engagement and helping other people do that, you actually mentioned that you have your own personal model for driving engagement. So how does your approach work? How does your how does your approach to your work connect to the importance of getting people to engage? Yeah, you know, I'd love to share that with you because there are some engagement motto models online. So for folks who are trying to build more engagement within their procurement function, within the stakeholder communities that they serve, go to Google. This is like my life hack. People want to know how did I learn all the things that I learned. Like go to Google like, <laughs> and go in there and type in and made engagement model for employee engagement, right? Um, when you do that, you'll find some cool models. There's the Zinger model, which I really appreciate. And that's based on engagement as a core need, a core human need. So it'll kind of give you the pyramid similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. for anyone who loves psychology like I did. Um, and it really talks to you about how do you actually build off of human needs and then move into unifying your company, which then helps you boost performance, which helps you achieve results. That's a really um, interesting piece of Google, go search this now tips that I would give. And the other one that folks may like is the Delo Deloitte model, which really centers around creating a culture where people are involved and respected and challenged. And so those are actual formal models you can look. The listeners today get the Ashley Steve exclusive, which <laughs> is the model that I literally made up in the parking lot at my dermatologist's office. When you sent me a LinkedIn message and said, hey, I'd love to chat with you about communications and engagement, what do you think? And I said in my head, well, how would I articulate my own approach to someone who I was training on my team or someone like you, Kelly, who you know, could really just benefit from her hearing my personal story, not the academic research, not you know, whatever you can Google. So that's my goal today is to really share my model, which I call the real model. So the R-E-A-L model, which definitely stands for something. I can take <laughs> you through it if you want. <laughs> that would be great. Especially, I feel so flattered knowing that this model has been articulated exclusively for this audience. This is a real impressive opportunity for us. So we are dying to know, what are the R-E-A and L for? 
Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I've never articulated this or shared this anywhere before. So this is kind of my first time wrapping around what is my approach. So let's start with the R. The R stands for research. I am a journalist at heart. I went to school for journalism. Uh, Doing extensive research on any topic, theme, or audience is always a first natural step for me. And I also think that when you do research, you put people at ease because you show them that you cared about the topic or their experience or what they've been through. And you can do this in a non-creepy way, right? Like you don't have to, you know, be like, oh, I looked at your LinkedIn profile 20 times and I learned, you know, these five facts about you. But what you can do is use some of that information to to help serve you. Give me a second, Kelly. My dogs are fighting under my feet. (laughs) This is ridiculous. But now we get to ask, what are their names? This is uh, Rocco and Ruby. They are fighting over a Kong. (laughs) That's appropriate because we're at the R in the R model, which is apparently researched Rocco and Rudy. Yes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So yeah, what I was basically saying is, you know, when you meet with a stakeholder, go ahead and look them up on LinkedIn. Look at the company website that you have look within any kind of award or recognition tool that you have and see what kind of acknowledgements they're getting. Um, See what kind of information that you can glean just based on what you know about them and weave it into the conversation really naturally. And also think of ways to do pre-event research. And so I'll give you an example. Just this past week, we led inclusive leadership training for our managers at Applied Materials, especially within the function that I serve. So the, the main group that I'm within, uh, the G2P is what we call it. So the global procurement function. Mm-hmm. So we did the training for those folks. And we sent out pre-event communications. And we went in there to remind people, what are the key themes for this? What are they going to walk away from? And we asked them to answer just one question and then provide us with a question that they had. So it's not, you know, we're not asking for a lot of these folks. We're just saying, hey, yeah. what, what um, can you answer this? We took their responses and made a word cloud out of it so that they could see their own words in the actual presentation. So you talk about engagement, they hear us in real time showing that we did our research and we care about what they have to say. And here, and by the way, here it is, right? So when you bring people into that process early on, it gives them a sense of ownership and it makes them feel like they should show up for you as well, right? Because they now feel like they're a part of something. So I always encourage people to do the research, take the time Mm -hmm. to do all those things and just see what you can do to learn more about the audience or community that you serve. So then if we're doing the research, then the next step is E. Yes. So E is all about easy. So E stands for easy. When you're trying to engage your community that you serve, your stakeholders, your suppliers, and any kind of communication effort, it needs to be easy because Kelly, a confused mind does nothing. And this is often overlooked because people have a lot to say when they're passionate about a project or a program, especially if they're launching something that people have spent months and months working on. You know, procurement folks can can go a year or two working on a roadmap and planning and then finally get to launching a new technology or a new system or a new intake process. And there's a lot of change management involved with that. And we want to tell all the people all the things because it's important, but we can't communicate that way because 
people need to be able to consume the right information at the right time and have a very clear call to action with that simple message. So I grew up as a dyslexic kid. I mean, I still have dyslexia. You don't just outgrow that, (laughs) Um, but you do train your brain. It's like a muscle, right? You train your brain how to lean into your superpowers and what are you good at? So when I was a kid, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but when you'd have to do the, the read aloud in the history class, and then everybody had to follow along and the teacher would randomly pick somebody. Yes. Very <laughs> stressful. This is very stressful. <laughs> I think this is stressful even if you don't have dyslexia. But you, but if you yeah. are dyslexic and that is happening, my armpits would be sweating. I would be like oh. on the edge of throwing up. Like I just didn't want to um, embarrass myself right in front of my my friends. And it was pretty scary. I, I really spent a lot of my younger time being really afraid of those those type of situations, which is funny now because look at the world <laughs> that I'm in and the work that I do. Um, I do think that serves me though. It makes yeah. it makes sure that following the E for easy in this engagement model means I can focus on making a really hard, big message, clear and simple. And that's incredibly important if you want to drive engagement. So some tips for your listeners um, include bold words in your emails, bold things that are really important for those skim readers. Uh, color coding. So sometimes I'll color code an action item or a deadline or key ownership within an email. So it stands out. So those uh, color learners can group together their action items easier. I always, always use bullet points. So I'll type out a lot of words and then I'll think, how do I put this into bullet point format for people? And then when possible, I'll include videos, visuals, or even audio files when I have them so that I can get the different learner types to consume the content we need them to learn in a way that best serves them because then I'm making it easy for them, right? Now that's E, although I think, you know, one of the things that's sort of easy to gloss over here is that making it easier for the audience to consume actually makes it a little harder for those of us communicating the message, but it's why engagement is so hard, right? Because a lot of times we think, oh, well, I'm just going to say what needs to be said and people are going to hear it and then they're going to do what I want them to do. Think about all of this thought and all of these additional steps that you're doing to specifically craft and tailor your message to make sure that not only is it received and processed, but it drives some type of desired action. So you can see where you need a multi-stage model like this. Yeah. yeah. Now your next step is A. Yeah. So when we move on, we have done our research. We're making things easy. The third element of this is to ask questions. And so this means asking questions early on and making sure the questions are more rooted on who you're serving and not just you. So when I am a, when I'm presenting Uh, through a training or any kind of internal meeting, or I'm thinking of my communication in the written form, you always have to remember that you will lose people if you don't make the experience about them. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of people make the mistake. I mean, even just thinking of conferences, since we're in conference season, they'll get up and they'll start their presentation and it's this big bio dump about who they are. And there's not like a clear story up front. So if you kind of rewind to what I shared at the beginning. I didn't start with where I went to school or what my major was or what I do now. I told a story. And my hope is that people remember little Ashley, 10 years old, 
you know, being a little journalist, right? But if we lead with um, something that invites people into the experience and we can ask them questions early on and engage the audience early on, then they're going to be bought into more of that change, more of that conversation. So this, this means you can do things you know, virtually, right? So if you're hosting yeah. a virtual meeting and you're facilitating an important conversation or a training, have a placeholder slide that reminds you to ask a question or reminds them, the audience, to give you a thumbs up in the chat if they're ready to go. Or give them a prompt that says something like, you know, I believe it's great to be an inclusive leader because, and then they fill in the blank. And now the whole chat is exploding with thoughts and people are learning from each other and I'm there to facilitate that. But now all voices are captured. I asked a question and now I have beautiful, beautiful engagement because people feel seen in the session already. And that's within the first five minutes. So you have to do that early on. You have to invite your audience in as soon as possible. Sometimes I even just say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, one is your best day ever 10 is, or sorry, one is your worst day ever. 10 is your best day ever. Where are you at? Tell me your number. And then the tens, I'll say, oh my gosh, Kelly, you're a 10. What do you got going on today? Tell us more. And then that breaks the ice and creates space for psychological safety. Mm. So that means Kelly, you get the space to share something exciting, which brings you joy. What it could also connect to another person. If you told me, you're going to go do a 5k this weekend. And I find out that you love running. And and now I can share that with you. We've got something more in common, which people tend to open up more when we know that we share something with someone else. And forming those connections is unbelievably important. And it's interesting because you have a, a really nice kind of bringing it back to the end here with your L, because if you're asking questions for the sake of getting people to engage, then as a person running a session or a project or an effort, your L, your way that you bring that home is to what? To listen. So you have to listen. And one of the best quotes that I've heard that changed the way that I engage with people is to listen to understand, not listen to respond. This is really challenging for people like me who are so passionate and I want to interrupt because I agree with you, because I'm excited about what you have to say, because I believe in what you have to say. And it's taken a lot of training and practice to learn how to be fully present, fully listening. And again, I think for a dyslexic brain, this might be harder because there's a lot of jumbling already already happening in there. What I've learned to do, if that resonates with you, is when someone's speaking, I will have a pen and paper, very old school style, and I will take notes of questions I have or comments I want to say so that I can stay engaged and get the thought out without interrupting them. Absolutely. I don't know if you do the same thing or have the same problem, but that's just a quick little handy trip, you know? I, I read a book one time. And I'll share this because I know you and I are friends and everyone's listening is our friends. So I'll share this even though it's a little bit embarrassing. I read a book one time that outlined all of these different types of contract negotiation personalities. And so the idea was you would read each kind of description and you would figure out like, okay, that definitely sounds like me. Mm. I scored as what's called a Pop-Tart. A Pop-Tart. I kind of love this, but what does that mean? So I'm so quick to like... 
I hear what you're saying and I'm very enthusiastic and I both agree and want to start on it with you. And so mentally, I'm three steps down into my project plan before you've finished your comment. (laughs) But possibly the thing that you said after I stopped actively listening was really important and might have changed the project plan. So Mm. So, right. So we all have kind of a different way, but I love that saying that we need to, we listen to understand because it's such an action oriented culture and time is is so short and we're all kind of programmed to like, okay, well then let's just go. But you do need to allow that space for people to finish their thoughts in. You do. And Kelly, I I think that's a great tip for everyone to consider, you know, the, the type of person that you are, the engagement learner that you are. There are so many personality (laughs) tests that you can do. And now one of my favorites is Enneagram. And I'm always like, gosh, I'm such a seven. It's like (laughs) one through nine. And nine means I'm the entertaining optimist. And so I feel my best when I am entertaining people and things are positive. But when things go south or I, I meet with someone who has low energy and mine is so high and they don't know how to handle that, I can shut down because I feel like, um, you know, I, I, in the past I've felt like there was something wrong for, with me or I was overwhelming to them. And I, you know what? I think bringing that issue of personality into it is so critical. And it's actually one of the follow-up questions I wanted to ask you. Now, let's just assume I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone listening in happens to be a lifelong, fully committed introvert, can natural introverts still be effective at getting other people to engage? 100%. So I believe that introverts are the best. I mean, I'm, I mean, I love my, I'm married to an introvert. Like I love them so much. Um, when I say the best, I mean like, oh my gosh, I love them. I'm not trying to rank <laughs> introvert versus extrovert. But what I mean is you know, clearly I'm an extrovert. I think my last personality test was like 3% introvert. So there's 3% of me that wants to be alone. Um, this pandemic of course made me more introverted. I definitely think that, yeah, I think all of us can relate to feeling a little more inward through the pandemic. Let me tell you what I think about introverts. I think introverts are really important because they are the deep, deep observers and listeners. And so they're going to be the folks on the team who will be really upset if they're called out on the spot in a meeting but they would love the opportunity to chat with you one-on-one or maybe type up how they feel after the meeting. And when you can give space for how people like to thrive, that's really critical as a leader and a communicator because, and again, that goes to your, these all tie together because it goes to the research phase and the asking phase, especially because if I know more about you, if I know your personality style, if I know what's important to you, if I ask you how you like to participate in a meeting or a training, or how do you like to receive an award or celebration? Some people don't want to be praised on the spot in the meeting. They'd rather get the email that's one-on-one. And if you say, Kelly, you are the winner of this award. Everyone go off mute and and clap for Kelly. You might shut down, right? And possibly climb under the table, actually. (laughs) I agree. And so we we have to know this about the people that we're working with. And again, our community, our stakeholders, our managers, our people that are just on our team in general. We need to know how they best connect and how they, they thrive because- I always say that the extroverts are the DJ at the party, but the introverts built the playlist. So we need each other. (laughs) 
<laughs> because that's how the experience is strong is because we're both at the party. Everyone is, is in the roles that they feel most comfortable doing. And when you give space to ask those questions, to do that research, to listen, to deeply understand what's really important to that person and understand that it's okay to be curious about what that looks like. So if somebody says something that you don't fully understand, a beautiful reply um, that embodies emotional intelligence is just saying something like, wow, that's really interesting. I've never thought of that this way before. Can you tell me more? Yeah. And you're giving space for that person to open up. I'm also a big fan of the yes and approach to these conversations. So um, that means that multiple realities can exist in the same environment. This is really critical with change management programs because the experience for the very front end user, I'll just pick on a technology readoption. Sure. Um, so if we're rolling out a new P2P system, what the CPO of that function and the CFO care about is radically different than the, the everyday end user because what they care about most is, is different, right? And so we have to be able to take under a close look at the multiple re realities involved with whatever scenario we're working on and give space for both of those to be true at the same time. There can be a lot of paradoxes involved with engagement and communication. I can be very excited about the, the new P2P platform and very anxious as well, right? Like those are not exclusive. That's right. Now, one of the things that people who regularly listen to The Sourcing Hero know, and I hear from them that they love, is that there's always the same last conversational question that I ask. And Ashley, I don't know what you're going to say. I'm very much looking mm. forward to hearing your answer to this. So you have a choice. Either what does it mean to you to be a sourcing hero, or if you would prefer to take sort of a bigger business-wide approach, what do you think heroism looks like in a business context? Mm, okay. <clears throat> I love this because I think I can answer it in a way that would serve both groups. Um, when I think of the word hero, so I'll just stick with that for a moment. I think of the storytelling framework that a lot of us learn in, in elementary or middle school, but we forget about because lives happen and new knowledge comes our way. The framework for storytelling always starts with a hero and we meet a hero and we fall in love with this hero, right? Um, then something in their lives happens. There's a problem, there's a conflict, there's a challenge, and the hero moves forward with the help of a guide. So someone who is there to help them get the right answer, to try things. You know, people might be listening to this and thinking of a movie. Maybe they're thinking of the Karate Kid, right? <laughs> and wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax you. off. Yep. Maybe you're thinking of Finding Nemo where, you know, Dory is the guide in that movie who helps Marlon, who is the hero, find his son again, right? A lot of these... Um, frameworks around understanding heroes in general can help serve us. And so when you think of, you know, what is it like to be a hero in the sense of a, a storytelling framework, which is where my brain lives, I think a hero is someone who is resilient, someone who overcomes the odds and they're not afraid to ask for help. They're not afraid to ask that guide, that mentor, that manager, that partner in the community to help them solve a problem. And they know more than anything 
that everything worth doing is worth sharing with someone else. That is an amazing explanation. Although I have to admit, I thought Finding Nemo was very scary. I did. <laughs> it is I, scary. I did see it as an adult. Yes, I do know it's a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, it starts off with his mom being eaten and there's a big scary shark who kind of ends up being a nice guy and there's lots to it, but I agree. Um, th- those Disney movies, they always pull your heartstrings because usually something very traumatic happens. But to your point, Kelly, a lot of us go through really big moments in work. We fail. We make a mistake. We have a moment where we don't know what to do. And that that moment, even in the context of being a sourcing hero, if you follow what I'm saying, you're, you're not going to give up. You're going to embrace your resiliency that you've built over your career or through your life. And you're going to be brave enough to ask for help because asking for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. And you're going to really lean into that uncertainty. So just running with our finding Nemo example, because we're still there. (laughs) Nemo or Marlon jumped into a whale with Dory and just trusted he was going to land in Australia. Like sometimes (laughs) we have to jump into the whale and just trust we're going to land where we want to go. So if you're really embracing the idea of being a hero you know, I, you got to just go for it. You got to try that thing that feels big and scary, but it's know that you've got your guide and your community and all of the strengths of your life so far, all your lessons learned, all of your perspectives are there holding you really tightly like a mom holding a newborn baby. Like it's a snugly tight moment because you've packaged all of that together to go do that big, scary, dark, challenging thing. Well, Ashley, for anybody that's listened in today, and first of all, has fallen in love with you for your energy and your honesty and your perspective, how is the best way for them to reach out or get in touch to join your community? Yeah, I love that. So LinkedIn is really the best way to connect with me. I'm really active on LinkedIn and I do like to share a lot of personal and professional stories there. So if anyone is interested in connecting with me on LinkedIn, it's, you know, linkedin.com slash Ashley Sieb. You can search for me in the search bar and you'll see, you know, my, my face pop up with my floral jacket on that I have at the moment, but who knows what it'll be in two months. I might change my profile picture. Um, again, I just like to keep things lively. So that's where you'll find me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.